This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash freelancershow. Hello and welcome to The Freelancers Show. I'm Jonathan Stark, and today I'm joined by panelist Philip Morgan. Jonathan, hey. How you doing, man? Welcome back from your sabbatical. Thank you, thank you. Happy to have you. And today our topic is positioning before lead generation. So deciding what your positioning is before you try to start generating leads. I love this topic. Mm-hmm. I think we should start. Uh, well, I mean, should we go for the go for the jugular and start talking about why the order of these two activities matters? Should we could, should we define them first? <laughs> Get out. Yeah, let's <laughs> Just do make that sure, first. Let's make sure we're all on the same page, <laughs> and then we'll go for the jugular. You know, a while back, um, I guess a while while back, you and I on this very show had a a really good conversation that helped clarify my thinking about positioning. Because it, I think I'd been guilty of using it in a kind of sloppy way. So under the umbrella of defining some of these terms, I'll say positioning is like grammatically, that's a verb, the way that we all kind of tend to use it. It's like mm-hmm. I'm positioning my business or I'm going, um, you know, I'm finally tackling the positioning question. And it's expressed as a verb, but really uh, I think the outcome of our conversation and what I've really settled on since then is that it's a thing. It's a noun. It's not a verb. Mm. And I know that's kind of arcane, but um, to try to make it less arcane, you're, you have a market position. If you're, if you're in, if you're providing services or selling a product, you have a market position. And that position is how you are thought of by the people in the market. That's really what a, a position is, is how do they think of you? Mm-hmm. Do they think of Jonathan Stark as some guy who provides services that are um, dirt cheap or expensive and worth it. And, you know, why would you, you know, hire Jonathan to, for, to help you? And that's all, those are all the components of a market position. Right. Like for JetBlue, it's like, they're like the, you know, they're like United, but they treat you like a human being. <laughs> you know, United without the violence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that. It's like the way somebody would recommend you to someone else like what's that one simple they're not gonna they're not gonna pull out a powerpoint slide to recommend you to someone else they're gonna say hey you know eh, it's just he's a mobile consultant he's expensive but he's worth it you know st- something yeah. like that yeah if you thought of your market position as the one sentence by which people remember you mm-hmm. that's maybe about the most functional best definition you could come up with for what is positioning right and, but there's this other element to it in the fact that we sort of cast that word as a verb means it is meaningful because we all acknowledge it's a process, right? It's a change over time. So you're trying to get to that point where enough people think of you in the way you want to be thought of. That's sort of like success in positioning is when you're 
when you're at that stage in the process where enough people think of you in the way you want to be thought of. And the way we get there is specializing. Most of us, mm-hmm. you know, the, the way fortune 500 companies get there is advertising <laughs> and marketing <laughs> spend. Yeah. And I mean, making key decisions, of course, but also supporting that with a ton of marketing spend. That's how they get there. How we get there is we specialize in something. Yeah, so, you narrow down uh, the, we don't have like people like us don't have the resources to throw a billion dollars into a marketing budget like Samsung does. We need to kind of narrow down onto something where we can actually own that, that thing yeah. in that space and yeah. not do just like global brand advertising to make people think, uh, an S eight or whatever we're up to is cool. Yep. And I would say w- we, we earn, we earn that position by specializing. So like if how you want to be thought of is some kind of expert or some kind of, um, person who can really be effective at problem solving in a certain way, or it's just really amazing at what they do. Like if that's your aspiration on the one hand, you can want that and that's fine, but you got to kind of have to earn it too. (laughs) You have to be able to like produce those results. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And the yeah, best yeah, way I do to, think, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, I, go ahead. I think for all practical purposes for this audience, that's true. But I think you can, it can happen that you get a de facto, you, you, for some reason you become positioned in people's minds because of some, you, for something that happened to you or whatever. But mm-hmm. in, in terms of taking control, I think that that's the only way to is right. It's the most effective, quickest path to, getting to owning that position in the in the potential client's minds is to specialize in something to focus down and be good at delivering a particular particular kind of result yeah yeah that's true positioning can happen to you and i think that's really what people mean when they say pigeon oh i got pigeonholed i'm mm-hmm. gripe 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 i'm a dba and really i want to be a back-end developer yeah pigeonhole yourself you want to pigeonhole yeah. yourself not have yeah. someone else do it to you boom yeah so there's this element of like intentionality to the process. It's, it's, it is making a decision saying, well, this is what I want. I don't want just whatever comes my way. I want a certain type of opportunity to come my way. I want to work with a certain type of client, or I just want to be around a certain type of people. And the best way to do that is to be known for X. And so, yeah, that's another part of it. You're absolutely right. Is that intentionality about it? So yeah, all that is, I mean, that's a kind of, we're hitting it from different angles, but those are maybe part of defining the idea of positioning or specialization. Yes. Okay. So How, then the let other, let me throw it on you. Yep. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Were you going uh, to take us in an interesting direction? No, not yet. I was just going to switch to lead generation, but, but yeah, go ahead. Well, I wanted to uh, say now who's asking the question, Jonathan, <laughs> how would you define lead generation? <laughs> the lead generation would be, how would I define it? It would be marketing activities intended to increase the number of conversations you're having with potential clients. So that was pretty vague and I already forgot what I said, but that, <laughs> but well, in, in increasing the number of conversations, I think that's a, like one of the bigger facets of it. I mean, I'm, I've got some others I'll throw in, but keep going with that. Yeah. I mean, it's words like funnel and pipeline or I don't want to like go straight to the jargon, but the idea is You've got some message to get out that you hope is going to be attractive to people who want to exchange money for your product or service. Mm -hmm. So there's like a million ways to do that. Everything from buying a Super Bowl ad to appearing as a guest on a podcast to, 
I don't know, buying Facebook ads or mm-hmm. blogging or running a mailing list or doing, uh, going to meetups and speaking there, speaking at conferences, writing a book, which is a product technically, but I think depending on your strategy, it could really be more of a marketing piece than a, than a product. So there's so many tactics and you can, you know, you can't swing a dead cat online without, without somebody yelling in your face about what tactics you should be using. Right. And <clears throat> there are, a million of them and um, and probably every single one of them has worked for someone but it doesn't mean they're going to work for you dear listener because if you just in general this is a general truism i think beyond even even marketing or or freelancers or soloists or firms even up at the fortune 500 level engaging in tactics in absence of a strategy is almost certainly a waste of time because you don't know which tactics to pick and there are endless, there's an endless list of tactics that you could pick to get the word out or attract clients or, uh, I mean, you could do outreach. I didn't even mention outreach. You could just be sending cold emails to people or calling them on the phone. All of these things are lead generation activities. But if, if you don't have a strategy in place, and in this case, the positioning would kind of stand in for the strategy. It's kind of like the, the thing that you stand for or the, the result that you can deliver. Mm-hmm. then doing all of that other stuff in absence of that is as, as our good friend Kai Davis says, uh, moving one inch in every direction. Yeah. You're just pulling against yourself. Yeah. There's, um, trying to put together two threads here and I got distracted by something I'm going to say later. Let's talk about trust because I think that's another facet of lead generation. Mm-hmm. Oh, interest. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the, what's the, cause I wouldn't say that I would say trust is more a factor. I would say trust comes into play farther down the funnel. Right. So that's good that we have at least some difference in how we see things because it's agreed with everything thus far. <laughs> <That's pretty> <laughs> Make yeah. it more interesting for the listeners. Um, so yeah, so I, I think that, so lead generation, this is not a different definition than one you gave. It's just different words. I don't think it's meaningfully different, but I think if I had said, okay, Philip, how do you define lead generation? I, I would have said something like it's connecting with and building trust with, um, with prospective clients. Mm, okay, I think there's yeah. a, bro- there's a broader view of lead generation, like it, getting contact information is another way you could define it like someone willingly submits contact information like an email address or fills out a form saying, you know, I'd like to talk to you. Those all fit under the umbrella of lead generation. But anytime that I come up with a definition, I think you and I have this in common. We're trying to get to like, what's the essence of that thing? Yeah. Not what's an accurate description of some aspect of it, but what's like the core thing about it. Yeah, that's true. It comes down to the definition of what's a lead, like how qualified is a lead. That's, that's where the trust, that's why my disconnect with trust, it's like, that's funny. Okay. And and I, um, I'm not doing it from like a, uh, game playing perspective, but when I think about some of the language that's on my website, so if you go to philipmorganconsulting.com, right at the top of the homepage, there's a big opt-in for an email course. And the headline on that opt-in says, if you got fewer than 10 leads last, or if your dev shop got fewer than 10 leads last week, you need to take this free email course. And I'm not like being disingenuous, but I am using a certain definition of lead that is um, not, 
the, the way I'm defining a lead there is anybody who signs up to an email list or anybody who for any reason gives you permission to reach out to them. And that's a less um, stringent definition than I just used a few minutes ago where I said it's connecting with and building trust with prospective clients. That's a sort of more uh, stringent definition, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, not that one, to me, one is not the most correct versus the other. It's just, uh, it's, it's a thing to be aware of. Mm-hmm. It's like, what, what is a lead? Like, um, when you start thinking about it, like a funnel, then it kind of changes as it progresses through the funnel. Yeah. I, I want, I, I put up a student glossary probably two years ago and the, the, there were a lot of terms on it that I wanted to define in a hyper-specific way that wasn't necessarily relevant to general usage of the terms, but within the coaching program, I wanted mm-hmm. very important, uh, there are keywords that need to be defined very clearly. Things like cost, value, and price, not the same thing. People use them interchangeably all the time in the real world, but mm-hmm. they, it's, we, we can't even have a conversation, you know, students and I can't even have a conversation unless we know exactly what those words mean. And one of the ones, the only one that I feel was never resolved for me was the difference between a lead and a prospect <laughs> because, because I just picked a way to use it. And the reason why is because there's no, I couldn't find any, um, authoritative source that didn't flip flop these two things. I, I keep finding <laughs> authoritative sources who literally used them opposite the way I, I, thought that they were and or the way I thought they were so like which one comes first in the funnel it kind of doesn't matter what what we're talking about like on your website the call to action how many leads did you get it's like for somebody like who you're talking to that means emails like pretty much that means somebody reaching out to them through their website to be like hey or someone recommended them and they get an email in their inbox that says hey we understand that you do wordpress sites we'd like to talk to you because we need a wordpress site like Mostly everybody I talk to, that's what they think a lead is. Yeah, I think that might be for now a good enough way to to resolve. But I mean, you you put your finger on something huge, like just know that when you see somebody talking about leads, there's a 50% chance they don't mean the same thing when they say that word as you do. Right. And you need more context around what they mean. Mm -hmm. I I think I, yeah, I mean, you'll find counterexamples. I've always thought of leads as that's when someone raises their hand and says, I might be interested in your services. And then they become a, a prospect when you've had started to have a sales conversation and, and they start to become qualified in some way. Right. I, that's how I see who, it. No, that's kind of how I see it too. Um, I, but I think my yeah. lead, I don't, uh, the, the raising hand part is not, uh, is optional for me. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I think this is true for, for traditional type salespeople. I think, uh, no, see this, the, the traditional salespeople say a prospect is someone who fits my, customer avatar mm-hmm. it's a prospect it's a pro, you know prospect like they're prospecting they're like mining mm-hmm. for gold where you and i in normal use use prospect as someone who's up call it a likely customer right uh, but i think traditional salespeople see a prospect as just like some rank could be almost anybody and i'm going to call them because they fit the suit like they they might need what i want so it's a pr- prospective client and they haven't raised their hand yet so i think that's part of the it's kind of a post trust marketing flip flop, I think. But yeah, and let me jump in here with my guess as to why that is. Um, this thought distracted me for a minute earlier. 
the thought is this. Anytime you find a, a done-for-you lead generation service, and there's a bunch of them out there. Some of them, I think, are great, and some are probably not great. But they'll, they'll all kind of position themselves as done-for-you uh, lead generation, meaning you pay us a fee per month or there's some kind of payment structure. It's usually, you know, if they're good, they can deliver results within a month. And so it makes sense for them to bill not on a fixed project basis, but almost like a subscription and they will deliver to you, ta-da, leads, right? And what they mean by that is uh, we did something, and as a result of that something, we feel like this person at this company, and here's their contact info and their phone number, and you know, here's all this information about them. We think that they might need your services. Or we actually cold emailed them, and we got a response, and now we're handing them off to you to uh, close, you know, have the sales conversation and maybe close the sale. Mm -hmm. Like all those done for you lead generation services tend to rely upon outbound um, sales or marketing or, mm -hmm. you know, outbound activities mm -hmm. where they're reaching out, they're maybe building a list and then reaching out and seeing if anybody responds to cold email or cold calling or whatever. And those done for you lead generation services tend to use outbound. And then there's a whole other category of done-for-you services that are done-for-you content marketing. Mm -hmm. And they don't tend to talk about themselves as lead generation services as much as these other outbound-based services do. Mm -hmm. And this distinction might be just only significant to me because I'm like head deep in this stuff all the time. But I think that's a significant difference because Inbound stuff like, you know, we're going to create great content marketing for you that's really going to demonstrate your expertise or establish you as some kind of expert or thought leader. That is just a less um, controllable way to generate leads. Right. It's, it's less like of a faucet you can grasp and turn the knob on. Yeah, you're sort of like, it, it's like more luck-based. Sort of, yeah. So is my head up my butt, or does that seem like a meaningful difference to you? No, I, I do. Th I, I think it's really murky, and I, I think that that helps unmark it a little bit. So if, what if we? But I think both of us are getting like into the abstract a little bit here. Mm -hmm. So if we, if we imagine, you know, the dear listener, and they're like, "Look, you guys, shut up. I, I just need more customers." You know, so. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? And I, I think it. I think I accidentally said it earlier it, to to a freelancer who's who's in a famine phase of a feast famine cycle. They're like, look, I just need to be talking to. It's more conversations. It's like, however they start, you know, whether it's outbound or inbound or you know, uh, or referrals or whatever. How do I talk to more? How do I get into more sales conversations? Cause that's pretty sure, easy yeah. to find. So, so there's, you know, we can get into like pre-qualification, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. It's like, it's like, how do I get on the phone or in person with people who are considering hiring me that, so that's, I, I suppose, whatever definition of a lead and however you generate that, that is, that's the goal. And then it's kind of up to, and this is where I was saying like, oh, this is where to me, trust becomes super important is in the sales conversation, the pricing and sale part, the trust is the most important. It's not the first point where it comes in, but to me, that's, mm -hmm. that's where the rubber meets the road with trust. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a fair way to look at it for sure. I'm always sort of seeking these, uh, 
lead generation techniques that kind of kickstart that trust building process. Yeah, me too. But there's, there's a lot of ways it can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can happen later in the process. So I, I love that, the way you phrase that. That kind of clarifies what we should be talking about here. So, you know, we both gave this away. Like I, I think I suggested a title for the show and you, you started riffing on the, the strategy before tactics thing. And those are both part of the, the first answer, I think, to your question, which is you have to make a decision about who you're trying to reach. Right. That's step one. And that fits under that positioning umbrella. Mm-hmm. Now, that decision is like that's the thing I'm super focused on helping people with is making that decision. And one of the uh, characteristics of that decision is it's a it can feel like a life or death thing. For your, <laughs> I mean, for your business. Like, and, you know, our businesses are very personal for most of us. So by extension, it feels life and death level decision making for us as people. And I would submit that it doesn't have to be like you could say, I'm going to make this decision and it's only going to last for six months and it's, it's no one's ever going to know about it, but I'm going to use it to inform how I do lead generation. In other words, I'm going to decide that I'm going to conduct lead generation as if I was trying to become known for writing, you know, uh, Ruby on rails apps for, uh, startups, which by the way, that's a terrible market position. I don't know why I said that, except (laughs) it was the first one to come to mind. (laughs) Um, so you have to decide who you are trying to reach first. And if I was to try to really limit myself, the complexity of my answer and just make it a not nuanced answer at all, I would just say, that's it. That's the decision right there. And I, I know you would agree, Jonathan, because mm. you and I have talked about this. It's it, who are you trying to reach, right? Who are your services for? Who are they best for? What do you think? Absolutely. And the, here's the nuance that I don't usually articulate that you just did, which is that you don't have to tell anyone you're doing this. You don't have to change the headlines on your website or whatever. You, you probably should, but I know that it's panic inducing. It's like, yeah. it's like me suggesting, Hey, how about you get this tattoo on your face? It should say, <laughs> it should say credit. I help credit unions on your face. <laughs> That's what the, the reaction you get is almost like I suggested getting a tattoo on your face. But, but so I love, I love what you just said because it, de- it, it, you know, the tattoos on your hip <laughs> and it's not even a right. tattoo. It's a, te- it's <laughs> it's a, a temporary, temporary tattoo, tattoo on your hip. So what that allows you to do is it gives you a it gives you a way to whittle down all of the possibilities for your lead generation technique so how am i going to get on the radar of somebody who might want to hire me it allows you to engage in activities that will uh, or sorry whittle down the possi- all of the the almost infinite possibilities of what you know ways you could spend your time to do marketing which then people just get paralyzed and do nothing and end up with no business in the, the famine phase. Mm-hmm. So if you just said, okay, you know what? I'm going to secretly focus on credit unions. Mm-hmm. And, and then you're like, okay. And, and I would, I picked that because my mom was a credit union president or I've got some kind of, you know, I've got some sort of unfair advantage with that space. And I know the language, I know where they hang out. Then I'm just going to go start hanging out there. Just really, yeah. yeah, you know what? I'm really smart with mobile. Oh, really? And then before you know it, you start getting into conversations about the thing that you do, but with a very particular group of people. And 
the, I think the beauty of that is that it's a virtuous cycle because then they'll kind of having conversations with those people is going to give you information about their more information about their language, their specific needs around what you do. So that you, the, the overlap in the Venn diagram gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I don't know, it's just a way to, cause you've only got, you've got limited resources. You don't have a lot of time to engage in activities. So you want, you want marketing activities. So focusing somehow focusing them down, this is like a nice baby step in a sort of non-threatening way to experiment uh, with pegging a target market. Yeah. Yeah. It's at the risk of taking something that we've made so beautifully simple and making it not beautifully <laughs> simple anymore. It forces the, the developers or the outcome focused or the, sorry, the, the kind of input focus people in, in the audience to, it's going to feel like tying your, your dominant arm behind your back. But if you, if you say the only decision you have to make is who you want to focus on serving or who you want your services to be for, then you're automatically de-emphasizing, well, I'm a really great, you know, rails developer, or I'm a, I'm the world's best illustrator jockey or, um, you know, whatever you think your kind of technical strong suit is. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's going to be an asset at some point, but that doesn't factor into this decision, the way we're framing the decision. Right. It has nothing to do with the decision, in fact. Yeah. So it kind of muddies the water, as I know, but it's it's a sort of judo move to try to um, get people thinking differently. Well, here's the thing, right? Because all of a sudden, if you, if because if you don't, don't pick someone, there's this just anonymous mass of humanity and and I, what I see people doing is certainly not conscious, but what I see people doing is marketing. Any marketing that they're doing is accidentally to their peer group because those are the only people they understand. Those are the mm-hmm. people that they know how to talk to. Those are the people they feel uh, like they're in a relationship. They're, it's their tribe. It's their, their group. It's their language. They have this shared view. And so that's why you get web developers speaking at web developer conferences. That's not going to get you business. Mm-hmm. unless you're selling training or books to web developers if if those are your clients okay fine but if yeah. you're a web developer who works with credit unions you should be speaking at places where credit union people hang out and i mean the even bigger picture you, you shouldn't you shouldn't be pre- taking all the time and money it takes to go present to your peers you shouldn't be doing that unless you're you know whatever assuming that you need leads and your business isn't where you want it to be do not waste time speaking at conferences to your peers because you're just you're that does nothing unless you're selling things to them that does nothing for your business do you run your own freelance business or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side well then you need fresh books fresh books is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients it's easy to use it works anywhere available from any device uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat 
and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Yeah, I will muddy the waters a little bit by saying uh, people have told me of cases where that does work, but it's um, it's it's best done when you have some kind of specialization that is kind of rare, and it's a way of getting the word out at a technical level. Um, and, I, and those yeah. people who are sort of in the same ecosystem might be like, oh, yeah, I know a, a person who really specializes on um, – you know, login authentication systems yeah. and that's like true. That but I call BS. No, I call BS on that. <laughs> Sorry. It's true. <laughs> it can turn into work, but it is absolutely not the best use of your time. In, in well, a, I, agree, I agree with you. That's where I was going, which okay, is sorry. It, it, if, if you're prioritizing lead generation efforts, that never gets the number one slot. Or Thank if it you. does, yes. I think you're making a mistake. Yes, we're total agreement there because that is a very, yeah. the reason why I was freaking out is because that is a very seductive path for people. They're like, oh yeah, but no, these people work inside of big companies and they're going to recommend, no. that yeah. it, And if they do, you're getting recommended by the wrong person. You're getting recommended by your surly engineer buddies <laughs> to management and you're going to go in and then guess what happens? Now you're getting leads, but they see you as a pair of hands and you can't price yourself in a way that is going to be profitable. So I'm, I'm sorry yeah. for interrupting like that, but I was like hopping up and down mad on my seat. Like, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> Yeah, we agree. I mean, the context is what's most critical there. It's like if you're killing it in getting leads from the most desirable sources and you have extra sort of margin in your your time budget and your money budget to go show up at some conferences for peers. Yeah. You know, don't let us hold you back from that. But view it as a luxury, though. Exactly. Yeah, that's the right, the right way to put it. It's um, it's almost like a vacation, like, a mm-hmm. you know sort of working vacation or, um, hang out with your buddies kind of vacation. Right. Yep. And, and by the way, people who are familiar with my history, I'm totally guilty of this. I spoke, yeah, at, you, you sort of, you spent a lot of time doing this kind of thing. Right. But the only time, yes. And, and the only time I got great clients out of it was, was those few conferences that were industry specific, but not to my peers. So, right. Places yeah, where speaking from experience here, <laughs> yeah, it's like where people with suits are in the audience. So if you're a web person, you don't want to be speaking to people in hoodies. It's like just a dramatic oversimplification. But if there are no suits in the audience, you've got a problem. If you can sell the sell of, suits, can you go kind of go back in time, Jonathan, to what your thinking was like at that time, and why why didn't you? I, I might be a little harsh in the way I say this, but why didn't you get it back then? That's a good question. Um, I mean, you made the decision to spend time and energy and money in a way that, I mean, maybe it was just fun or maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe you secretly have a trust fund. I don't know. About <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So this, this, you did these things at the expense of other things you could have done. Why? And I'm really not trying to be critical or throw you under the bus here, but like we, we've all gone through that stage where we kind of didn't get it. Right. So. No, that's a great question. So I, I'll, uh, I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to tell the story. So like the first conference I spoke at was one that I had attended many times and I was, I knew the one thing I knew was I needed to be more famous in order mm-hmm. to differ. I like I saw my becoming more famous was the way to differentiate myself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, be the first person somebody thought of when they thought of people in this community and 
I, I knew that you could do that by writing books and I knew you could do that by speaking at the, the one annual conference because I had, you know, my mentor, basically my, my last boss, in fact, did this and it was like magic. The results were like magic. The phone would just ring. Customers would be like, can we work with you, please? Hmm. So I was like, that, okay, I just took that playbook and I said, speak at conferences and write books. And and it totally worked. <laughs> I didn't have any idea what I was, I was just copying them though. I, I didn't know yeah. what I was doing. And there was only one conference, period. So interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. and interestingly, well, to to repeat the word you just said, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the conference, because there was only one, there were suits there. So my customers were there. And that's just dumb luck. If there were lots of them, and later when I went into web stuff, no no customers were there at like a lot of the web stuff. It was all like web designer, front-end designers, full stack, uh, sorry, front-end developers, uh, web designers, full stack developers, uh, DevOps people in more recent years. None of those people were going to buy from me directly. And if they, if, if by some magic occurrence, their boss said, Hey, um, do you know anybody who would be like great at, you know, whatever, whatever thing I do, the odds of that are so incredibly low. And I think it's never happened. I'm pretty sure it's never happened. Hmm. So the, the, the biggest customers I've ever had came from me just being on the speaking circuit and accidentally getting invited to speak at stuff that was a little bit outside of my peer group that appealed to people a little bit outside of my peer group. And then like, boom, $100,000 gig, boom, $120,000 yeah. gig. And it was like, whoa. <laughs> I can so see myself in that same story. And, and that, like, I'm imagining it as you're telling it. I'm imagining myself being there. And um, wasn't there a Black Mirror episode where there was some technology implant that prevented people from seeing things that were like distressing to them. <laughs> I didn't emotionally see that distressing. One. Maybe. I, I actually don't watch the show, but I heard about this somewhere on, you know, some news site. Yeah. Basically it would like interfere with your ability to see it. So it kind of fuzz it out like the way that, you know, certain things are fuzzed out on television when they're deemed offensive. Right. Um, I imagine myself being there and like all the suits, people getting fuzzed out. And so I could only see my peers and I felt like, oh, I just killed it. That's why I got all that work is, you know, I just was so amazing at being this expert for my peers and not even realizing where the leads came from. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if that was actually your experience or not. That's probably how it would have been for me. Right. Well, so in reality, in my reality, an actual person in an actual suit would come running up to me afterwards and be like, we have to talk. You know, so it was, it was, it's like, I keep saying suits, but it's literal for me. It was, yeah. you know, and, and it's probably less true now than it was, you know, I'm talking about, geez, I don't know what year is that. I don't know what year is like five, 10 years ago. It, mm -hmm. It's I think in decreasing, decreasing. Well, I don't know. I haven't been to a conference in a long time. I stopped doing them. So, mm -hmm. uh, anyway, the, I suppose the, how does this, how does this tie back though? I guess it's about like realizing who your audience is before you try to speak with them, I guess is kind of yeah. what we're saying. Well, I think there's another big takeaway, which is that, uh, I know this was very true of me. I was very not comfortable around the people who had the authority to hire me. 
I, I was just like, I'm, I'm naturally introverted and I'm much more comfortable around those people now, but it's also part of the reason why my business focuses on, um, you know, individuals and very small businesses is who I, I'm here to serve mm-hmm. and the self-employed software developers on top of that. But anyway, um, I was never really comfortable around those people. And I think that might be a pretty common thing is, you know, you can just see it in my language, those people, right? It's like <laughs> I'm making them the other. And that's, that can really, uh, I think, sabotage lead generation because it may be that you really do need to connect with and build trust with people that you never hang out with in real life because you think of them as, you know, suits or you think of them as the managers who just don't get it or whatever. And I I just want to bring that up because I think that's a a small facet of your story, Jonathan, is I bet you're a lot more comfortable around those people now, but back then you probably were less, or if, if you weren't, you just had a sort of unconscious bias that they weren't people you wanted to hang out with. And, um, and that can really affect your lead generation. Sure. Well, here's the funny thing because that we're kind of like a lot of the, a lot of the tactical things that I've done over the years and even some of the kind of sound bites that I'll constantly be repeating to try and get people to, to be more empathetic to their potential clients and people they can help. One of the things that you just, the, this conversation around the others, like them, the pointy haired mm-hmm. boss yeah, is I, I have an antidote for that, but I didn't realize that's what I was doing until just now, which is that I've said repeatedly for years, only work with people who you like. Right. Is because there are pointy haired, but there's suits out there that you like. There's suits out there that, you know, that are just like me in their personal life, in their political life. They have a different kind of job than me, but they play guitar. They do martial arts. They have a couple kids. They understand all those things. And I totally dig that person, that individual, that human. They have a job that I would never have picked in a million years. They've got their reasons. Uh, who knows? But finding that intersection, this is another good reason to always be yourself. I think it, it makes no sense to put on airs and pretend you're more professional than you are. You know, there are roles in your life, like, you know, I don't swear around kids and stuff like that, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, or on podcasts, for example, but, you know, but more or less, just be yourself, you know, don't try and be like, oh, I'm going to gesticulate less in this meeting because it's unprofessional. <laughs> I mean, come on. Right. You know, it's going to accidentally come out. You're just going to look uncomfortable. So just be yourself, work with people that you like, but be honest about who it is that you can actually help the most. And if you're going to put a price tag on stuff and and you're not happy with the income that you've been getting, you need to help people who get more value out of what you do than the people you've been working with. So Mm -hmm. find people who have control of larger budgets or they've got a bigger uh, opportunity they're trying to capture or whatever it is. And find people in there that psychographically match you, but perhaps, you know, and maybe demographically too, I guess it doesn't matter as much, but, you know, perhaps demographically and psychographically match you, but happen to be, you know, in a, in control, you know, a a CMO at a fortune 500 company Mm -hmm. and see like, okay, if I was going to help people like me, people that I like that happen to be in that role how would I talk to them? I would talk to them just like I talk to my friend who happens to be the CMO of a fortune 500 company. Cause that's the way I relate to people. And I don't know. I would just be like, look, fortune 500 people. I think it's crazy that well, I'll use credit unions. Cause that's the actual real life example. Uh, I think it's crazy that you have branches. Like, can you explain to me why you have branches? Mm-hmm. And it comes across. And, and if you imagine that they're your friends over dinner, having drinks, 
and you just ask these innocent questions, I think it's a little bit less threatening, but at the same time, completely iconoclastic. So I guess we're getting a little bit, a little off track. I'm getting into like, getting into like, how do you, the thing, the thing that I, I think is related is Philip, how would you define a target market? Well, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm sitting here kind of rubbing my hands gleefully because <laughs> everything we're saying is making this point. It, I mean, it's a lot of it indirectly is making this point that it's, it's all about uh, who you're going to focus on. And I, I am going to add an, a, another little bit of nuance to that based on your last question about how do you define your target market. Um, this is one of two ways. And I call it, you know, find your people. And that's a sort of, you know, um, breezy way of saying, you know, just find the people you dig that you resonate with or you feel some connection with or some values with. And it may be them as specific individuals, which is kind of how you're framing it mm -hmm. to an extent. Yeah, because you, you want to avoid the find your people. Well, my people are web developers. I'm a web developer, other web developers. Right. So you want right. to avoid that. Right. And there's a chance, I think, for a lot of people that, okay, in any large enough group of people, there's going to be people you just can't stand. And that's not a reason to avoid this, uh, this approach to choosing a, a market. Um, because it might be like, well, I, I really I want to, you know, see the environment uh, protected. And that's a very strong feeling for me. Uh, you might, you may say to yourself, I want to protect the environment. And so your people might be businesses that are, that also have that as their chief value or the, their chief goal for the business. Mm -hmm. And that would be an example, I think, of finding your people. Like you kind of just feel this common cause with what they're doing or, you just might think, you know, athletic achievement is amazing. And so you're not a professional athlete, but you want to work around people who are in that endeavor, right? So that would be another way to do it. So just generally, it's, it's you know, finding people that you feel some kind of connection with on the level of interest or values or um, you just feel emotionally. I mean, it really is an emotional thing, honestly. And I, there's no shame in that because as we all know from research, that's how we make decisions. And then we, you know, backfill with logic. So there's no shame in saying, well, I just like these people. That's, that's going to be the most important strategic decision you make. That's what makes it kind of weird is you, is positioning is the most important strategic decision you can make for any business. And to make that on the basis of how you feel to a lot of us feel strange. And I'm here to tell you there's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, that might be the most, the best thing you could do because if your emotions are fighting you, there's this other, it's a kind of made up personality type. I just call it the, the mercenary type hmm. where the mercenary type can put up with a lot of crap if there's a payday in it for them. Mm -hmm. And if you really are that type, then that may not be the best way to choose your target market. You might be looking for some kind of hole in the market or some sort of strategic advantage that you have based on previous client work you've done. You've got a real strong track record. Mm -hmm. And I call that approach, find your head start. And for some people, that's the right way to do it. Um, I could just go into a whole multi-hour lecture on this stuff and I'm resisting doing that. But I just want to say, just to add that you, you asked the question, Jonathan, how do you um, find your target market? Those are the two basic ways. Mm -hmm. Find your people or find your head start. Yeah. And the, the mercenary thing, in the hourly billing thing ties into the word it's like comes together in the word freelance which originally meant available weapon mm -hmm. and 
Mm -hmm. And they didn't care whose side of the war they were fighting on as long as they got paid. It wasn't about the mission. It wasn't about that. So I think, and I, I think that that word is not accidental. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, hey, I need, I, uh, hey, I, I need a pair of hands. Come and do what right. I tell we you. Need a, a hired gun is a, maybe a, a, yep. a, a more recognizable modern version of that same idea that mm -hmm. you just talked about. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't really care about the outcome. You just want the money, and and that that mindset is the one I'm trying to change, or or is one that needs to be changed in order to get away from the concept of hourly billing. The sort of defense of like, well, I put my time in, I should get paid. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. if you didn't deliver any results, you shouldn't get paid. So mm -hmm. like that right there is a, is a, a critical mind shift for getting, I think getting, I think you need to get, I normally I'm like, you need to get over that before you can actually increase your income or your profitability for any, in any meaningful way. Yeah. You can raise your hourly rates, but that only goes so far. But now I'm seeing like in the context of this conversation, you probably can't pick a target market until you get over that mind that that like hurdle because you're like i don't care i can do this for everyone i can do this for anybody i'm like really could you do it for a terrorist or could you do it for like some other you know like <laughs> distasteful scum of the earth I'm not saying well i don't uh, i don't know i feel like i'm on but but like you wouldn't just work for anybody dear listener i'm sure there are people that you would refuse to work with just now just like broaden that group you i refuse to work with dentists i refuse to work with financial analysts i refuse to work with mm -hmm. and get it down to your people i love the i love the find your people thing i love that i haven't heard you say that before find yeah. your people and it's probably 10 million people there are probably 10 million people in that group of your people however you define your people and find the ones that have huge budgets and see how you can help them and deliver massive value and set your prices in a way that's equitable to both of you and for what's a good deal to them and a good deal for you, you're both highly profitable. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think the mercenary approach can work in some situations, but if if we had, if we challenged ourselves to, to leave listeners with one mechanism that probably works for most people, it really is the find your people approach. Mm -hmm. um, again, the, you know, find your head start can work in certain situations. I, I, I agree with you that it makes it harder to do value building because you're more focused on it's tempting to focus on the technology. Like most people that I work with feel like their head start is their, their knowledge of a particular technology. And sometimes mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can translate that into a good market position and then combine what you're talking about, Jonathan, that empathy for the people you serve um, so that you're in the right, you know, all the incentives are aligned to do value billing. Mm -hmm. I think that's one takeaway from what you're saying. Mm -hmm. it, it's harder with that mercenary approach to make all those other elements line up. But I do think from a positioning perspective, it, it can work. It's just probably, I'm still kind of figuring out, this is a new way for me of really thinking about the start of the process. These two approaches to making the decision, the find your people versus find your head start. And so I don't have a lot of data yet on how well that works two, three years down the road. Mm. But um, it's it's a way to frame the decision for you so that you're hopefully not focusing on the wrong things. Mm. You know, as we, as we get to the end of this episode, I think, um, we kind of have to throw up our hands on lead generation that like, I, I would, I mean, maybe was secretly hoping we wouldn't talk about it because it doesn't matter until you make this decision. <laughs> right. There's no way you just, you just like, you know, 
farting in the wind. It's like, what, what are you going, how could you possibly decide what to do for lead generation before narrowing down your focus to something manageable? It, it's like, I, I know people do it all the time though, because they're, they're scrambling and they're looking for anything to get relief from this pain of not knowing how they're going to pay their bills next month. Mm -hmm. And they are desperate for any kind of solution. And so, you know, whatever the next blog post about landing clients is that comes across the transom, well, I'm going to do that and it doesn't work. You know, I'm going to try this. Right. And it doesn't work. You'll try it because ultimately because it's novel and you don't have any evidence that it won't work for you. Mm -hmm. You'll have some evidence that things you have tried are uh, largely ineffective. I know there's going to be edge cases. There's going to be situations where, um, you know, I've talked to an agency years ago who wrote a single blog post on uh, migrating from one version of PHP to uh, the next version. And they got work for that for like years afterwards. Mm -hmm. And that's wonderful. Like I, I'm not emotionally, I don't care, but it's atypical for that to happen. So let's say that you also wrote a blog post on how to migrate from PHP, whatever, to the next version, and it did nothing for you. It's very likely that you will sour on that lead generation approach, which is one of dozens, <laughs> maybe hundreds, <laughs> right? I mean, if, if you get real granular with how you look at lead generation, you could probably come up with well over 100 ways to generate leads. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've seen blog posts that are that, just that. They're like a sort of rundown of all these different lead gen techniques. And so you move on to the next one and you'll have hope, right? You'll be like, well, I haven't tried this one. Maybe this is a missing piece. <laughs> and then the lead generation stuff's not the missing piece. The, the strategy is the missing piece. The, the deciding is the missing piece. Yeah. It's like how, you know, it's like this kite blowing around in the ground and you're like, why won't this thing, why won't this thing fly? It's like, well, you're not holding the string. Like, mm. you know, like nothing you do is going to make that kite fly unless you grab the string pull it and then, and then you've got a chance, but it's just like mm -hmm. what looking, watching someone in a park kicking the thing. How come this <laughs> won't fly? Kite. Yeah. <laughs> How should I kick it yep. now? What should I, maybe if I throw it in the air like this, it'll fly. Grab yeah. a string. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. there's anyway. Yeah. I, I suspect you and I have both been there. Like I know I've been there. And so I hope this doesn't come across to the folks at home as like, ha ha, you, you know, silly people who haven't figured it out. That's not it at all. It's just, um, you know, uh, Blair ends talks about work not done yet. That's a phrase that he uses all the time. Hmm. And that's a sort of category of stuff where it, it, it's a real problem for the business owner, but the solution is not outside of them. The solution is in the business owner and the solution is we'll do that work. And then that problem will, will be solved, but you've got to, you know, solve this other problem that's underlying. Yeah. Right. So positioning before lead generation, we're both for I, I it. Give, I give that a thumbs up. Two thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Two thumbs up from the panel. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, I'd, I'd say we've, uh, we've covered a lot of angles of that. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's my, like one of my main, uh, things I'm trying to do is help people figure that out and make that transition out of being a generalist into specializing so they can solve that. So mm -hmm. I could talk a lot longer about it, but I, I think we have covered a lot of the bases on that. Mm. Well, we should switch over to picks, but it's great to have you back. Glad to have you back on the Thanks. show. Yeah. Good to be back. Any picks this week? Have you been saving them up 
For you, the listeners of Freelancer Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. <laughs> if, if only I was so disciplined. I do have some, though. Uh, let me focus on two this week. I'll, I'll save some of the rest for later. So you, Jonathan, pointed me to this guy, Chris Voss, who wrote a book called Never Split the Difference, mm. Negotiating as If Your Life Depended on It. And I read the book and thought it was great. It fits in a category of books on negotiation. And, and the more I read about this stuff, the more I realize there's kind of two uh, competing camps in that world. There's this... Um, I don't even know what to label them as, but there's a certain camp that like is, is focused very much on a process, almost like you could do a, a decision tree for a negotiation. And I should say this is relevant to everybody. Everybody negotiates, whether you think you do or not. You know, when you work with somebody else to arrive at a decision, you're negotiating. So there's that kind of, I don't know, formal camp for negotiation. I've never really been drawn to that, but I've come across some books. This is one of them. That is this other camp, which is more about empathy. It's more about communication. And that just resonates deeply with me. And so uh, Jim Camp's books fit in that category for me. They're not perfect. Um, neither is this Chris Voss book uh, called Never Split the Difference. But they're all, I think, contributing to this kind of idea that you can have a very empathetic conversation with someone and resolve some of the most tremendously difficult problems there are. And uh, so I, it, you know, Chris, the Chris Voss book is super interesting. He has a background as a uh, FBI hostage negotiator, <laughs> which if that doesn't make for some interesting war stories, I don't know what does. Yeah. And before that uh, he worked on a suicide hotline. Yeah. Like this yeah. guy's the real deal. Yeah. And so thank you, Jonathan, for that recommendation. The book just really landed for me. Um, and uh, I'm definitely going to read it again. So I'll link to that in the show notes. That's never split the difference. Um, negotiating as if your life depended on it, a book by Chris Foss, and it's available in all different formats on Amazon. And I just want to point out for my second pick, what our uh, mutual colleague, Nick DeSabato is doing. He's launching currently a new book on what's what he calls value-based design. And I haven't read the book, like I haven't had any kind of early access to that, which is fine. But just knowing Nick, it's going to be good because he thinks about the discipline of design from this very business-centric, value-centric perspective. And I know that the designers out there probably are constantly frustrated with us because none of us is a designer. And that world is so... Um, confused with like, well, is design really about business value or is it about these other things? So uh, I'll link to that as well. I don't have a like easy to remember URL to verbalize for you, 
but uh, I know that book's going to be worth your attention if if that stuff seems relevant to you. So those are my picks for this week. Check out that positioning and trust transfer. I haven't read it yet, but I know it's going to be good. Yeah, seriously. Right? Yeah, he just <laughs> does good stuff. Uh, I will. So I'm going to pile on. I, I had actually other picks, but I'm going to pile on the ones that you just um, shared. Uh, another great negotiating book is called Getting More, How to Negotiate to Achieve Your Goals in the Real World by Stuart Diamond. And it's, I, I listened to the audiobook. It's absolutely amazing. And, and it gives lots of really specific, actionable tips. He tells lots of stories. It really sinks in. And you're like, wow, this makes perfect sense. And I never do it like this. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was it was one of those books that I think seeped into me so thoroughly that I'll bet you if I went back and listened to it or read it again, I'd be like, oh, that's why I think that. It, like it just went straight into my subconscious. <laughs> really, really good. Uh, very, and it's very much about putting yourself in the shoes of the other party. Very empathetic. It just, it tracks with uh, the way I view the world. Really good. Uh, the other thing I'll mention, speaking of Nick D. I think almost a year ago, I recorded an interview with him about practicing value-based design for Ditching Hourly, uh, one of my other shows. So uh, he is releasing this book. It's, I think, available for pre-order now. Uh, But I am going to, I never got around to editing that episode, much to my eternal shame. So I'm going to put that together and release it. So by the time you hear this, dear listener, you should be able to go to ditchinghourly.com and hear Nick talk for probably 45 minutes about uh, what I'm sure are the theories behind and the, the practices behind uh, what are in his new book. Uh, so check that out at ditchinghourly.com. And that'll do it for this week. Thanks for listening to us here on The Freelancer Show. And we hope you join us again next week. We'll get close to 300. Ooh, Ooh scary. <laughs> All right, folks. Up. Yes. Bye. Bye for now. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.